Good morning. Welcome to Bethany Lutheran here in Warren, Oregon. Today I'm preaching on the third chapter of the book of John, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, Can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to, that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In a 1790 letter, George Washington addressed the following to a Jewish synagogue in Rhode Island. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of as if it were the indulgence of one class of people that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights for happily, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. How I wish that were true, that our government did not sanction bigotry that persecution was given no assistance, that it was universally accepted that being a good citizen 
meant supporting the premise that all people have inherent rights and should be allowed to exercise said rights. That would truly be a Christian nation. That would be an audacious love for our fellow members of the human race, a love that few seem capable of. This is the kind of love Jesus demonstrated during his mission on earth. He was an equal opportunity friend. He did not just welcome those whose names were listed on the temple roll. He welcomed the outcasts and the neglected. In fact, he did not just welcome them, he sought them. Jesus was an equal, equal opportunity savior. He did not say he came for the most devout or for those who had memorized the Torah. He said that all who believe and are baptized will be saved. Mark 16, 16. Jesus befriended the friendless. Jesus loved the unloved and the unlovable. His is an audacious love. His is a love we cannot understand or achieve. It was this love that made Jesus a target for those who liked an orderly society with lots of rules and standards, a society where everyone knew his or her place. If we're honest, Jesus has a love that we desire for ourselves, but not a love that we want to be asked to deliver to everyone else. Today's gospel reading is about a man of that society where everyone knew his or her place. That man, Nicodemus, was a man who played by the rules. He was an educated man and a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the temple and of Jewish society. Now the Sanhedrin was quite upset with Jesus, this Galilean, who refused to play by the rules. While the other Pharisees and Sadducees were plotting to get rid of this disruptor, Nicodemus wanted to meet Jesus. There was something about him, something that made Nicodemus want to understand him, something that made Nicodemus want more of him. What made him tick? Why were people flocking to him, even following him from town to town? Nicodemus had to know more. But what would the other council members think if they knew that he met with this Jesus, the Galilean? So Nicodemus goes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. What an interesting metaphor that is. Nicodemus is not just creeping about in the darkness of the night. He's coming from the darkness of the world to the one who is to be the light of the world. He addresses Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus is so unimpressed with what others are saying about him that he completely ignores what Nicodemus said. Instead, Jesus declares, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Well, Nicodemus did not see that one coming. My granny would have said, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Even though Jesus' statement was way off the agenda of Nicodemus, it is such an odd, curious comment that Nick has to go with it. He asked Jesus, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? What a ridiculous concept. And yet, think about it. In Jesus' day, one's birth, that is, the family you were born into and the place where you were born, determined your life status. Were you a peasant, a man of honor, part of the ruling class, an heir of a fortune, of a throne? A woman to be bought and sold at a man's will? A slave or a slave owner? If one was reborn, maybe this second chance would be better than the first placement in society. But of course, one cannot be reborn. Well, we know that the rebirth Jesus spoke of was that chance, a guaranteed chance. When we're born of the Spirit, we become children of God. We become heirs of the kingdom of God. When you arrive in heaven, there's a place of honor waiting for you. Angel choruses announce your arrival. A crown is reserved for you. Even now, as soon as you are baptized, you become a member of the family of God. The Apostle Paul describes this concept in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17a. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the sonship, the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Audacious love. Eternal life is shaped by and consumed by God's love. And it begins the moment that believers entrust their lives to Jesus. We enter into God's reign immediately. We are citizens of God's kingdom on temporary duty to this planet. We are, confess by confessing faith in Christ Jesus, we agree to submit our spirit to the guidance and control of God's spirit. Jesus replied to Nicodemus' question with, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. Poor Nick is so lost. I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, the water is a symbol of our sinful nature being washed right out of us. Then we're ready to receive the Spirit of God, to house the Spirit of God within us. When the Holy Spirit takes charge of our spirit, 
we will come to see the world in the upside down way that Jesus speaks of his kingdom. We will be reborn to the idea that humility and kindness are far more valuable than pride, status, and power. That the meek and lowly are more valuable than the bold, haughty, and brazen. After a bit of putting Nicodemus in his place, we come to what has been called the gospel in a nutshell, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Greek word cosmos used here for world is used often in the gospel of John, and is always describing a thing that's at complete enmity with God. So what John 3.16 is really saying is, For God so loved the God-hating world that he gave his only Son. And verse 17, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn even this world that despises God, but rather that the world that rejects God might still be saved through him. What did I tell you? Crazy, audacious love. The Apostle Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 15, he wrote, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In his commentary on the book of John, Frederick Dale Bruner frames up John 3.16 this way. God, the greatest subject ever, ever, so much the greatest extent ever, loved the greatest affection ever, the world the greatest object ever, that he gave his one and only son the greatest gift ever so that every single individual, the greatest opportunity ever, who is entrusting oneself to him, the greatest commitment ever, would never be destroyed, the greatest rescue ever, but would even now have a deep lasting life, the greatest promise ever. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, first to Israel, then to all, including you and me. He sent his son to teach us, to forgive us, to heal us, and to comfort us, to die, to rise, to return for us. Hear, know, believe today. Amen.